Yeah, well, what's funny is we always joke around that after spending a week in the van, the boat feels gigantic, like a mansion. (laughs) But everything's relative and compared to the van, it's like, oh my gosh, I can walk around in the boat. I have a functioning kitchen. I have a bathroom. It just feels very fancy, which is funny. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 106 with Kristen Haynes. Kristen Haynes runs the popular website, thewaywardhome.com, and it was born out of her life experience, first living in a Prius with her partner, then buying a sailboat and living in that, and finally also adding a Chevy Astro van to the fleet. This is a timely interview because Kristen has spent extensive time boondocking in the van and sailing offshore in the boat. So in this interview, we will talk about how she approaches preparing for times off-grid, such as how does she stock up on food, how does she store it, just general strategies for feeding yourself while you are away from the stores. And we also talk about the lifestyle, what it means to live as a nomad and how it can really open up a lot of possibilities in your life. It's a really great conversation and I hope you stick around. The ad read is going to be a little bit different for this episode because something big is coming. It's something that I only do once per year. And if you're currently dreaming of a tiny house, actively planning a tiny house, or even building a tiny house right now, this will be of particular interest to you. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but know that it's very special and very time limited. Um, I will be releasing just a special short episode on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast on Monday, April 13th. Monday, April 13th is when this is happening. And the the short podcast episode will just tell you about it. So again, sorry to be vague, but just wanted to give you a heads up to check your podcast feed on Monday afternoon, April 13th, and you will find out what it is. Uh, If you're on my email list, I will send an email out as well. All right, on to the show. I am here with Kristen Haynes. Kristen Haynes lives in a sailboat and in a Chevy Astro van and is the editor-in-chief of The Wayward Home. She's written about living tiny for publications like Good Housekeeping, Marie Claire, and Realtor.com, hoping to spread the word about our new American dream. Kristen Haynes, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. You're so welcome. I've been, we've been talking about an interview for a while. And you are kind of in between uh, boondocking slash escaping the COVID crisis in in your sailboat? Yeah, first we went out in the van because right when we heard about certain areas going into lockdown and just the spread of this illness, we decided we wanted to get out as far away from people as possible. (laughs) So that's what we did in the van. And we went out for about nine days. And we started by going out for a night in the Alabama hills. 
And then from there, we went to Death Valley because we really wanted to explore that during the spring after rains to see wildflowers. So we went there and boondocked a bunch and stayed away from people. (laughs) And then after that, we went to Utah and we went to Zion National Park, which was actually way too crowded. And at that point, they were still running the shuttle buses, which was scary. So we decided just to walk, you know, through the canyon. And what we've been trying to do is just stay far away by, by boondocking and using gloves at gas stations and going grocery shopping once a week. So we did that first. And next, we're going to take our sailboat out to the Channel Islands, which is about a five-hour sail from where we are now. And we hope nobody's out there. <laughs> so we're just trying to stay far away from, from everyone right now. Wow. So tell me, um, I guess we'll start with the van. Can you tell me about the van itself? Like, how is it outfitted, you know, cost to build, those kinds of things? Yeah, so I found a 1994 Chevy Astro conversion van on Craigslist a couple of years ago. And I was really lucky because it only had 54,000 miles. And it's a really old van, 25 years old. And it has a little bit of, you know, a higher roof, about a foot higher than other minivans. So it allows me to stand up in a hunched over way. <laughs> and, you know, we, I got it for $6,000. So really super easy, cheap way to start van life. And I barely outfitted it really. Like all I have on here that allows me to boondock are two solar panels on the roof, 50 watt flexible solar panels connected to an inverter, which is connected to a 30 quart, 37 quart bridge in the back of my van. And that's how we stay off grid for days at a time is using uh, this refrigerator. And I have a bench seat in the van that folds down and we have footstools in here to create a little bed system. It's not perfect, but it works and it fits two people and it was super affordable. So it's a great uh, starter van. That's awesome. That's it's kind of a nice reminder that you don't necessarily have to like gut a van and spend months like building out like a custom cabinet, essentially, that you can just start with something very basic and make it usable. Yeah, that's what I try to tell people when they're like, oh, I can't afford van life. It's like, yeah, just buy a minivan and put a futon in it and get out yeah. there. And, you know, when, you, when, when you're in a tiny van, what you do is you move your living space outdoors. So I have two tiny foldable chairs that fit in my van and a foldable table. And so we sit outside most of the time. We're not like actually living in the van. Uh, we sleep in it. And that's about it. What's your, uh, what's the water set up in the van? So I have two foldable jugs. One of them is two gallons. One is five gallons. And I also have, you know, a couple other plastic uh, jugs in here. So I have a total of nine gallons of water. And I have a water filtration system, you know, that I use for backpacking and for the van. If we ever end up by a nice creek, we can easily filter more water using my gravity backpacking water filtration system. Cool. Maybe you could talk a little bit um, about how you prepare in advance for going out boondocking for nine days. Like, what are some of the things that you buy in advance and, you know, keep in mind when you're planning something like this? Yeah, so I definitely want to have enough fuel because I use a little one burner jet boil, uh, you know, stove that runs on one pound propane bottles. And those can go maybe fairly quickly, six days so it's not too bad, but I make sure I have three or four on hand just in case we can't find any in the grocery stores and we stock up. So that's really important. And I fill all my water jugs and I, I buy enough food to fit in my refrigerator, which can last for, for many days in there. Because And then I use canned foods and like boxes of rice and boxed foods to supplement um, the meat products that I buy. Or we eat vegetarian food, which is a lot easier to store than meat products. So we do a combination. 
So I just make sure I have enough food and water and coffee, of course, and enough fuel. And that's what I get, you know, that's how I go boondocking. What's your what's your preferred coffee setup for for boondocking? Yeah. So for that, we have actually have our backpacking stove with us because it boils water in about one minute. <laughs> and that's very important in the morning when you need coffee. And then we have a pour over system. So we each just have a pour over, you know, cup of, of good coffee. And then we're pretty much good to go for the day because <laughs> it's strong. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a, I like the pour over. That, that's what I use it at the tiny house. Um, when I have a little more mess to make space, I like the AeroPress. Oh, I have one of those too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that too. Um, all right. So did the sailboat come first before the van or was the van your first kind of foray into tiny house living? Well, what was funny is my first foray into it was actually a Toyota Prius. Ah. Back in 2015, I had met my my current partner, Tom. And he is the one that was a little more unconventional than me um, at the time. And he said, why are we paying so much rent? Because we live near San Francisco where rents are out of control. And he was, he said, I'm going to live in my Prius. And I was like, what? Like, what is wrong with you? That is so weird. (laughs) And so I kept my apartment and he was living in this Prius. But lo and behold, I started, you know, hanging out with him and we would camp in campgrounds. And it it felt kind of like an adventure. Like, it was fun. And I was with this fun guy and who I had just met. And so I was like, why am I paying rent? And so I gave up my apartment to live with him in a Prius. And I did that for four or five months and I paid off my debt. And that's how I learned how to live tiny was way was in 2015. So I've been experimenting with this in a variety of different <laughs> vehicles. That's awesome. You know, I, I actually, my vehicle, my daily driver, although I'm not doing much driving right now, um, is a 2011 Prius. And, um, I just, I've always, it's always piqued my interest. I just found out there's like a Prius dwellers Facebook group and there's a subreddit. It's like a thing. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. And I actually just interviewed a guy from my blog who lives in a Prius. He's lived in a Prius for six years and he only spends $800 or less per month, um, living in his Prius. And he loves it when he visits friends and they offer him a room in the house. He says, no, I just want to sleep in my Prius because he has it set up very comfortably. And it's a really interesting thing that he's doing. So if you need inspiration, he's very inspiring about Prius living. (laughs) Well, nice. Uh, When that article comes out, I can link to it from the show notes page for this one. Great. So one thing that I, I feel like I'm way off topic, but it doesn't matter. It's, we can talk about whatever. Uh, So for the Prius, a lot of the examples I see are a single person living in a Prius. and they they basically fold down one half of the seats of the rear seats, and that's where the mattress goes. And then the other half kind of becomes like a storage area. How does it work with two people? Yeah, it was it was interesting. We would fold down the the back seats, and that created enough space, you know, for two people to sleep sort of comfortably. And at that time, now we have a Prius V, or yeah, Prius V, the bigger one. But back then, we had probably one like yours, a really small one. But we managed to fit in there, but we had to supplement that with a storage unit because we both still had full-time jobs. We weren't traveling full-time. And so we had a storage unit. And that's we actually hung out in the storage unit most evenings, which sounds weird. It was a shipping container, but we had music equipment set up in there. So I had a little drum set and Tom had a little guitar. Um, so we would play music in there to entertain ourselves. And then we would just go to the Prius and sleep in, in random places. So that's kind of how that worked out. That's awesome. <laughs> um, all right. so. I, we, we went on to the Prius, um, 
were there other vehicles between between then and and now? No, only the Prius, and then okay. next came the sailboat, and then next came the Chevy Astro van. So those awesome. are the three tiny homes we've had. Awesome. So maybe you could talk a bit about the sailboat. You know how how big is it compared to your van, for example? Yeah, well, what's funny is we always joke around that after spending a week in the van, the boat feels gigantic, like a mansion. <laughs> Even though the boat is not, you know, that big, it's probably, you know, 150 square feet of living space, possibly. So it's 41 feet long and 12 feet wide, but a lot of the width, you know, is taken up by cupboards and equipment and couches. So it's really a, a narrow space when you think about it. But everything's relative and compared to the van, it's like, oh my gosh, I can walk around in the boat. I have a functioning kitchen. I have a bathroom. It just feels very fancy, which is funny. But when we house it, you know, and then we come back to the boat, we're like, oh my God, this boat is tiny. So I think it's just a matter of keeping that perspective. And, you know, it's always a good thing to to think you're living in this huge home when in fact is very small, but you feel positive about it. And that's, that's great. <laughs> that is great. Um, so maybe you could, just tell the story about how the wayward home was was born. I mean, you you've kind of already touched about on it, you know, experiencing the tiny living with Tom and the Prius. Um, but it sounds like your your personal story also kind of brought you to that. Yeah, it definitely did. So what happened was I was a radio news reporter for a long time, about 15 years, and it was my dream job and I loved it. And the last five years I worked in San Francisco. And I got laid off. They decimated the newsroom like they're doing to many journalists across the U.S., sadly. And I didn't know what to do at that point. It was hard to get a radio job. And I knew that I loved you know, living tiny. I lived in the Prius and I had immediately moved onto the sailboat when I lost my job um, because I couldn't. I, I had been paying rent for about seven months in a houseboat. <laughs> it was not a tiny home, but it still, it still was you know, costly for me. So right when I lost my job, I moved out onto the boat. And I started to think like other people are probably having this problem and maybe I should write about it. And I really didn't know what blogging was at the time. I, I kind of had blogged in like 2005, <laughs> but I didn't know that a blog could be a business until I I stumbled on a woman named Michelle Schroeder Gardiner who has a very successful blog and she lives in an RV and a sailboat. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to try that. So I started writing about tiny living stories in hopes to inspire other people that there is a way to live tiny and not um, pay for a ton of rent. And so that's kind of how it got started. I just started writing articles about people living small and it's just grown from there. And the summer will come on three years of of running the website and it's now my main source of income. And I'm really, um, really excited about that. And I love writing about people living tiny and helping others figure out how to do it as well. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I really like the wayward home because and it, it all makes sense knowing that you are a journalist because you really do seek to tell a story, the story of the people that you feature in a in a way that makes the articles really readable and just full of great, great info and tips. So cool. Nice Thank job. you. Yeah, it, was a, it was a fun way to transfer my journalism skills to something else. <laughs> and it worked out, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you haven't started a podcast as a radio reporter. I, I know. I was thinking about that. Maybe next. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so what does your current lifestyle, now that you're kind of full-time travel, what does your lifestyle cost like on a monthly basis? Yeah. So right now it's not super affordable right now because we have a marina. That's the problem. If you're traveling full-time on a sailboat and you're, you don't have a marina, then it's really cheap and you can do it really affordably. But here where we are in Southern California, the marina is about 700 a month to seven to 800 a month. 
And that's, you know, still way cheaper than rent. But we have, that's our, you know, main cost of living right now. And then there's food and gas. So that could, for two people, add up to maybe $2,000, i am guessing, you know, with all the, you know, the cost of living. But eventually, we'd like that to be way less, you know, when we get away from the marina life and start traveling the world in the sailboat. So, and then we'll be anchoring out for free most nights and catching our own fish and shopping in cheaper economies than California. So that's our goal. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you have like a a date for that plan or is this kind of like just a long-term goal? It's a long-term goal. It was going to be right now. We were supposed to be in Mexico, but we sailed down to um, the Ventura area in California and we fell in love with it. We're like, why are we leaving if the Channel Islands are right here? And we have all these deserts for the van. And so we decided to spend time in Southern California instead of San Francisco and instead of moving down to, to Mexico right now. So now our hope is to go to Mexico next fall. And we'll see if that happens because it keeps our plans keep getting derailed and changing a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But that is our eventual first international stop would be the Sea of Cortez in Mexico. Nice. Yeah, the Sea of Cortez is I, I've been there once, not on a sailboat, but it's so beautiful. I can't wait to go. And um, Andrew and Gabriella Morrison from Tiny House Build also um, have done a lot of sailing down there. I think they own a boat that stays down there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I love seeing people's pictures of the area. It looks stunning. (laughs) I'm really excited. So when you're planning to get away in the sailboat, um, especially going to somewhere like the Channel Islands, um, definitely no grocery stores. Um, so how how long are you planning to be away, and how do you how do you prepare for that? Yeah, so we just went to the grocery store a couple of days ago, which was an interesting experience um, down here in the Oxnard area. They were letting um, you know fifteen people, fifteen to twenty people in at a time, and at the time, almost everything was gone, and we went at eight a.m. and it was pretty shocking. So. A lot of the things I normally get, I did not get. And I ended up getting a lot of things like vegetarian meat that nobody wants right now, but I, I don't mind. <laughs> and so we, we bought a ton of groceries, I think probably enough to last two weeks. And we have a pretty big fridge on the boat. It's a compressor fridge and it runs off um, a couple of golf cart batteries that are in the boat. And we power those either by running the engine or eventually by putting solar panels on the boat, which will be a project that Tom does very soon. And so we can fit a lot of food in there. It's pretty large fridge. I don't know the exact dimensions, but we fit a lot of stuff in there. And then we have weird little nooks and crannies throughout the boat where we fit canned foods and breads and pastas. And then we have a really pretty large, I think it's about a 100 gallon water tank or so. So we can take a bunch of water out there and we have a big holding tank. So the boat is a lot more off-grid ready than the van because it's quite a bit bigger. (laughs) So we can last for longer out there without grocery stores. Yeah. And it's kind of like does that's what its primary design is. It's like for off-grid living. Yeah, exactly. So once we get the solar panels up, it'll be truly off-grid. So we're really excited to to finish that project. So yeah, I feel like everybody right now is like getting the experience that they never thought they were going to have in like kind of not like being a prepper, but just like thinking about, okay, what if I can't go to the grocery store like every day, which is what I do because it's walking distance. Like, what if I'm trying to minimize that and like not go to the grocery store for two weeks? Do you have any any advice on like meal planning or um, just anything you can say about that? Like just resources for planning? Yeah, I'm kind of like you where I used to go to the grocery store every day because I like going to the grocery store and I never know what I want to eat. 
until that day. So it's kind of weird having to go buy two weeks of groceries. What I did, and I don't know if this is the the best way, but I looked through cookbooks, which I download from my library because I can't like store cookbooks on the boat. So I download them onto an iPad and I flip through them and I find a whole bunch of new recipes that excite me. And then I make a big list and I go to the grocery store. So that's kind of the way I do it. But another neat thing that um, people might want to think about is there's something called a $5 meal plan. I don't know if you've heard of that, but for $5, you get meal plans sent to you every week. And they have grocery lists and all these dinner ideas. And I used that for a while and it was really cool. So people need help with meal planning and don't want to search through cookbooks. um, That's a great resource. And then I think just having enough staples on hand is something I also recommend. So like dried beans, which I cook in my pressure cooker in 30 minutes is an incredible food to have and like rice and just a variety of staples that can be thrown into a meal if you have just some veggies on hand can be a great way. And also I think cooking vegetarian is easy because it has a longer shelf life than, than meat products. And so if people are willing to try some vegetarian recipes, I think that helps extend <laughs> the amount of groceries you can have in your house, especially if you have a tiny house without a, a big fridge. So that's that's one way I do it too. Absolutely. And like you know, storing meat long-term, you need a a freezer and that takes up a lot of space and that's usually not something that's in the tiny house. Yeah, totally. We have, our fridge has a little area in the way back that's sort of a a freezer, but it doesn't work as well as like Uh, one of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we try and the meat gets like half frozen. So we don't have that, that much meat right now on the boat. (laughs) Yeah. I think the meal plan sounds like great. And I'm sure there are other ones out there because it's it's always like you pick a bunch of recipes and like one of them calls for scallions and one of them calls for cilantro and like so you end up with these fresh ingredients that are expensive but you only need half of them for the recipe so like a, a plan where you have a plan to use up everything you've bought before it goes bad could be a really yes. valuable thing yes that's a big challenge for me too and i try to use the most perishable foods first, like, you know, like the spinach and the arugula and stuff before hardier things like cauliflower. And it's always hard because I hate wasting food. Um, but there is a, a book that I read about how to store food on your boat. And that helps um, this couple traveled the world on a boat with no refrigerator. And they have like expert tips on how to store food and produce without refrigeration. So I read through that and, and take some of their tips to store stuff like in our build or hang it or store it on shelving so it's not all fitting in the fridge. Nice. I would I would imagine that like down below the temperature is a bit cooler cuz the water's cooler sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think the water temperature here might be 60 degrees, 58 to 60, so it's not super cold, but it is colder than the air. And so I've been keeping it kind of freaked me out, but I've been keeping spinach and, arug- and arugula in our bilge and I thought it would go bad, but it seems happy as long as it doesn't have water on it. The water rots it. If you can dry it out, um, then it, it, it's happy living at, at that temperature, which is really odd to me. But it's been working so far. <laughs> so that's one tip that, that that people can use if they want to try it. That's fantastic. Um, so you've you've interviewed quite a few people and featured them on The Wayward Home. I'm curious, uh, do you have maybe one or two favorite stories that you've done that you can tell us about? I really like the story of there's a family of five that was living in Seattle, um, living a normal life in a big house, and they both had corporate jobs. And one one day they decided like, hey, we're not seeing our kids enough. You know, they go to daycare, they go to school, we see them at six every night, we put them to bed, and that's our life. And they decided they wanted to live on a sailboat for a while and travel around the world. And 
it's been 10 years and they're still on a 47 foot sailboat traveling around the world. And their kids are now teenagers and they're a really tight knit family. And that's a story that that's one of the first stories I did on my blog, but it still stands out to me a lot. Cause I think it's neat that people can take their families and their children living on these adventure, you know, doing these adventures. And the kids have a much different upbringing than in typical society, I think. And it's really cool to see that and to see the kids being happy and fulfilled and families being together. So that's one of my favorite stories I can think of. And I have several family-oriented stories on there because I think that's inspiring. (laughs) So I like that one. And I really like the one about the guy living in the Prius that that I told you about. I thought that was really neat to see how he fashioned his Prius. He took out the passenger seat and put a board there for sleeping. And also that board is what he uses for cooking. And he put solar panels on his Prius. And he has a fridge in there and a folding bike. And he just loves it. And that's also very, that was one of my favorite stories as well. Nice. It's it's just amazing what people can come up with and be really comfortable. Like, you know, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure many people listening to this are going to be like, ah, like that sounds terrible. But like, it's amazing what you can adapt to and just the freedom that it it unlocks for you. Yeah, I think so too. And that's what he talks about is he loves the freedom and adventure and solitude of it. And he, you know, some people would think they'd be lonely doing this, but he said that when he travels around, he meets more people than when he lived in a house. Obviously in the sailboat, once you're offshore, nobody can tell you like, yes, you can sleep in your sailboat here or not, correct? Yes, yes. So you have to have We have charts and we have um, detailed books about the areas we're going. So when we sailed from San Francisco down to Southern California, we had a book that detailed the route like in really good detail and told us all the potential places you could stop and anchor if you needed to and safe harbors. And so that's really vital to us in figuring out where to go. Even here at the Channel Islands, it can be dicey figuring out where to stay for the night. So the same book tells us about each anchorage and like what winds it's good in and bad in. So we really have to study a lot before just setting the boat down for the night. It's a lot harder than parking a van. <laughs> a lot more goes into the boat boating world than the van and RV world, I think. Sure. So so in the van, are you usually stealth camping or is it because it's a conversion van, it just looks, it's too obviously a van that somebody is sleeping in, so you just boondock? Well, in San Francisco, sometimes we we stealth camped in the van and we would park it in San Francisco on city streets and nobody seemed to care because I don't think people would think of it as a camper because um, and so we can just park it anywhere and people wouldn't think people are sleeping in it. Kind of like what we did with the Prius. Nobody thinks people are sleeping in a Prius ever. So you can get away with sleeping in neighborhoods and like weird places. You wouldn't put a big like Sprinter van, <laughs> for example. And so... Um, but we don't really stealth camp in it anymore. Now we're mostly just in nature boondocking. And I use an app called iOverlander to find sites. And usually it's on BLM land or National Forest land. Um, Death Valley National Park is one of few national parks that allows boondocking. Many of them don't. You have to be in you know designated campgrounds. But I use that app and it works even when you have no signal. And it points out these locations where other people have stayed and they give reviews of the of the place and you can, and they talk about the road to get there and the, they, sometimes they post pictures of the view. So I use that all the time to find us cool spots. Like I found a spot in the Mojave National Preserve recently using that app and it was just stunning. It was just my van and a sea of Joshua trees with nobody else around. 
And so, and I only knew that because someone posted about it and I went there as well and drove down this long bumpy dirt road and I found a campsite. <laughs> so that was really fun. So cool. And that's in the, the iOverlander app? Yeah, it is. That's, that's like the only app I use and I just love it. There's a tons of other ones out there as well, but that's my favorite one right now. That sounds like a great resource for, for those on the road. Mm-hmm, definitely. Have you ever considered um, or have you ever wanted a, a like, I'm going to say traditional tiny house on wheels? And that is kind of cracking. I'm cracking myself up. Have you ever wanted a traditional tiny house on wheels? I do want a tiny house. I don't know if I want one on wheels, but I want I think I want one on a foundation somewhere on land. Like that's my third tiny house dream. <laughs> I'd like to have the van for camping, the boat for water travel, and then a tiny house, you know, on a piece of property that I know I could always go to. Because one scary thing about the van and the boat is you don't have a property that's yours. You have like, you always have to depend on someone else to let you camp or to let you park the boat. Like for example, if we were cruising and all these countries closed their borders, we would have nowhere to go. And that's kind of scary on a sailboat. But if you have a tiny house, you can always know that you can go to that property because it's yours. And so I think that's something that's kind of soothing to think about. (laughs) So I would like to have a a tiny house one day. I I can't imagine a big house, (laughs) but a little one would be amazing. Yeah, that kind of goes into my next question. Like, now that you've been doing this for three years, five years? Three years full-time, I would say. Yeah, since I lost my job. Actually, four since I lost my job. Would you go, would you go back if somebody was like, you can like take, this, take this magic door and you'll go back to like your full-time job and like living you know, your, your lifestyle that you were versus what you're doing now? Would you go back? <laughs> I wouldn't. Weirdly, I can't imagine having to go into work every day now. Like every day I can, I choose to do what I want to do. And having that freedom is just amazing. And then just not having to deal with stuff is also really cool. Like I got rid of most of my stuff and I can't imagine having an apartment full of stuff again. Like sometimes I see these for rent signs in apartment buildings and I'm like, oh, that might be nice to have a shower and like a bath and stuff. But I'm like, but ooh, I don't want to buy all that furniture. I can't like (laughs) handle that idea of owning so much stuff. So I don't think I would want to go back to that that lifestyle, but especially due to the now that I can work remotely and I've made that possible. That's kind of a dream lifestyle for me. So I can't imagine going back. <laughs> nice. How do you um how do you stay connected to the internet on the road for for work, both on the boat and in the van? Yeah, so that's something that I'm always experimenting with. Um, I have a Wi-Fi hotspot right now, which I actually just purchased it because it has unlimited data, which is incredible. The last one had a 15 gig cap, which just was not working out for me because <laughs> I use way more than that to, to work on a website. And then I also have a cell phone signal booster so that can boost the quality of the hotspot um, when I'm somewhere more remote. And then I have a Wi-Fi signal booster where if if there's a kind of a low Wi-Fi signal around, I can use that to get a more powerful one. And and I've used that in my sailboat quite a bit. Because when you're like in a marina that offers Wi-Fi, um, often the signal is too weak to really do that much. And that's same with RV campgrounds. I know a lot of RVers use this as well to capitalize on really low signal quality in an RV campground. And they use the booster to to boost that so they can stream videos and and do their work. And so those items are pretty necessary for me, as well as the unlimited hotspot, which I'm testing out right now. Nice. Who makes the unlimited hotspot? That's AT&T's unlimited hotspot, but I'm using a third-party program that actually another RVer just 
recommended for me. Um, and so I just signed up like two days ago and I had to buy the router from Best Buy. It was about a $250 router. And then they set up and run the service for me, which is about $110 a month for unlimited 4G Wi-Fi with AT&T. And so their, their main business is to serve rural communities that can't get traditional like Comcast internet. And so they're, they're this kind of mom and pop business that helps connect um, cool. nomads or rural people with unlimited Wi-Fi. And I think it's amazing so far. I, I've streamed some shows on it. And it's great. And it's fun to be able to do that from the boat. It makes it feel a little more luxurious. Yeah. Now, what about like when you go out to the Channel Islands, you're going to be well beyond the coverage of AT&T. Do you have a way of connecting out there? Yeah, I've, I haven't tested this yet, but I actually looked at the coverage map for the Channel Islands. Ah. And it looks like, yeah, it looks like the northern half of three of the islands does have AT&T service. I think it's coming from Santa Barbara and we're about 30 miles offshore. So I'm hoping that with my cell phone signal booster and the hotspot, I'll be able to get internet or else we're going to have to come home because I have to work. Ah. <laughs> but we're going to go out. Yes, yeah, so we're going to go out there and test it out. And I'm hoping that I get um, I'm able to get that Wi-Fi from Santa Barbara. So, yeah, we'll see. Hope so. Are there like I would imagine they're really expensive, but like satellite Internet type options. Really expensive. There's probably a thousand a month. Sadly, because I did, I researched all the options for sailing around the world on the boat and saddle, and I looked into satellite and it is very expensive. So I decided not to do that. <laughs> but I know some people who have enough income probably do that, but definitely not at that point right now. Yeah. So yeah. that's more than your marina rent just for internet. Yeah. Just for internet. And it's a certain number of gigs. It's not even unlimited at that price. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That seems un- unsustainable. <laughs> yes. So one thing that I like to ask all my guests um, is what are two or three resources that helped you when you were making the transition to tiny living that you want to share with our listeners? Hmm. Trying to think about what that would be. My <laughs> Weirdly, I didn't use a lot of, of resources because Tom, you know, my partner was my main resource because he's the one that kind of led this whole thing. He's the one that had the Prius and he's the one that bought the sailboat and had sailing experience. So he led me on on those these forays into tiny living. So I didn't really use any outside resources for the van. It was more just searching on on the internet and using Craigslist and Facebook groups to figure out what kind of van I wanted. And I joined like a Chevy Astro Facebook group and learned all about Chevy Astros, and that's how I zeroed in on this particular one. So using just you know online tools like like the internet, I didn't even know of other bloggers at that time that. Now I would recommend following bloggers in niches that you're interested in, like tiny house bloggers or van life bloggers, just to get more of a idea of their lifestyle and YouTube uh, videos. But back then I really didn't ha- know what to do. <laughs> so I just kind of followed Tom's lead at that point, you know, when I first started out. That's awesome. I mean, it's cool because I think sometimes when you look at what else is out there, it can almost be discouraging. Like if you had known that there were other people blogging about RV and van lifestyle, like it might've been discouraging. Like, oh, there are already these people who are successful doing this. Like what business do I have? But almost by not looking, you just start. And like your, your site is just so full of great content. Yeah, I had no idea at the time that there were other van and RV blockers out there. I just knew I wanted to write these stories and that I thought it was important to tell the stories. And 
working in the news business, these stories had always been really like kind of top hits on websites. Like people, I felt like people liked reading these stories. That's why I decided to to try to do that as well and try to mimic that model I saw that was successful in the news business. And so that was my initial thoughts when starting the, the site. Nice. Um, so we won't get into like all the details of exactly how you make money online because I, as an online business myself, there are lots of little kind of income streams that you combine into one. But you do have some some courses that you've created. Um, I'd love to hear about about your paid courses, what you what you offer. Yeah. So the first one I developed is the Remote Work for Nomads course because I really felt like people didn't know how to get started into looking for remote work because that holds a lot of people back from actually taking the plunge, I think, is that they're afraid of losing, you know, getting away from their jobs and their health insurance and some of that financial security. So I created the course to show people that had, it's kind of for total beginners. And I just wanted to give an overview of like, here are the options and here's all the career fields you can do remotely and you can start your own business or you can work for a company remotely. So that course was aimed at aspiring nomads who need to find a way to make money. So that was the first one I did. Then the second one was um, a blogging, profitable blog, profitable blogging 101 online course where I teach people the very basics about starting and running a blog meant to eventually make money and how to monetize a blog. So those are the two offerings I have so far aimed at helping people um, figure out how to make money to sustain this kind of dream lifestyle. That was my goal. That's awesome. Have you had people take the courses and, and kind of use them and you hear back from them? I have. Yeah, I have had people take them and, you know, they take off in whatever direction they want. Like they'll, a couple of people have tried starting blogs. And I think just the main goal is to expose people to all these different career fields there are and how easy it is to get educated online. Because I think a lot of people think like, oh, I don't have any idea how to do these jobs. But go on Udemy, I don't know how to say that quite right, but udemy.com, it's online courses, and you can buy courses for like $13, $15. And that's so cheap. And you can just see if you even like that career field, like take a graphic design course and see if that even inspires you. And then you could get even more deeper into it. But I just encourage people to go and test out the waters with these variety of online education that's free and cheap. Um, and anybody can really do that. They're not super cost prohibitive. So that's what I try to tell people. Just explore your options and take classes. That's fantastic. Um, any any closing thoughts for, for Tiny House hopefuls in this time of uncertainty? We're, you know, we're recording this on March 23rd. So the United States over the last like week or two has, you know, really changed in terms of needing to be on lockdown, social distancing and all that stuff. And I think that now more than ever, people who have been considering the tiny lifestyle or or full-time travel are kind of like, all right, get me out of here. How do I get there sooner? Um, any thoughts for them? Yeah, I think now is, you know, a really good time to do it as, you know, as you talked about things in the U.S. are are strange right now, especially with the economy. And I think people are worried about making income and paying their bills, you know, living in a house is expensive. And I think people are, are you know, it's going to be a time when more and more will start looking at tiny living. And I think the first thing is just to figure out a way to work remotely and to bring in an income and that will make you feel comfortable and more stabilized in at least one aspect of life. Um, and I think once that remote work, it doesn't have to be a ton of money. Like when I started, I was doing freelance articles that were barely, you know, making anything, but it gave me this hope that, oh, this can happen. 
And so even to start small and to start pulling in little bits of money, I think would be really a cool thing for people to start experimenting with. And after that, this is a great time to start downsizing. <laughs> like you have a lot of time if you're at home or you know, working from home just to take, take over downsizing certain aspects of the house to prepare for tiny living. And, you know, it's also a great time to get started with an RV, go out boondocking to get away from people. But the thing I'd like to say is just to beware of rural areas and small towns and utilizing, you know, their grocery stores to take home supplies in a time when supplies are limited. So I would warn against doing that if going out boondocking. Um, just be aware of, you know, these tiny communities that don't have a lot of hospital beds or resources. So that's one thing. And then just, I think it's a great time to research, like figure out if you want to do a sailboat, a van, an RV, or a tiny home. It's a, you know, watch YouTube videos and price things out and explore options. And I think that it's a great time to start living tiny, <laughs> you know, just like any time. But even now, especially, it's a good time to to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Kristen Haynes, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was such a great conversation. Yeah, it was. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much to Kristen Haynes for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes, including links to Kristen's stuff, all the articles and various profiles that we talked about over at thetinyhouse.net slash 106. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 106. And don't forget, Monday, April 13th, something really big is coming. So check your podcast feed, check your email. I will definitely let you know about it. Um, but just wanted to put that date in your brain. All right. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. <laughs>